Good morning. See some faces. It's good to be here. I think I can say that louder and better than I ever did before. Um, yeah, I wasn't here last Sunday, so it's just really nice to be with people um, that love the Lord. And it's nice to be with our own church. I think about um, why do we have church, and I'm not preaching on church today. Maybe we should, but I feel probably in a way that I never did before, and I think it's, I'm not even sure if I understand why the importance of gathering together as believers. The Bible tells us that. We knew that, grew up that way, we've been taught that. But till we do without, I think we realize the value and importance of doing exactly what we're doing this morning. I think in a lot of ways, um, I'm a little nervous being up here because I can't see all the faces and I can see some. Um, and I know it's a little different setting and it's going to be a little different in preaching too. But hopefully I can communicate a message that um, would bring us to Christ, bring us closer to Christ. I appreciate the devotions this morning Glenn had, and I think it's, in a lot of ways, if you were asked to preach, maybe, maybe that's not true, but if you were asked to preach, you may have some of the same confessions that Glenn and I have this morning. And I think my sermon this morning kind of comes from thinking through how well did I do in the last two months um, in this time of, we'll call it crisis or whatever you want to call it. But I was thinking about preaching out of 1 John chapter 3, the last part where it talks about loving your brothers. And I was diving into that a little bit. And I realized there was 10 verses before that. So you can open up your Bibles now if you have your Bibles with you to 1 John chapter 3. Um, there's 10 verses before that that I'm going to cover before we get to the part that talks about loving our brother. And I know, um, or I've been preaching out of the series here in 1 John, and I thought um, I would dive right into this thing about loving our brother because of um, probably the controversy and a lot of things that we think about, a difference of opinions and things like this that came, um, took place because of some of the crisis we were in. But then I got to the first 10 verses there, and I got to some hard verses. And as I dove in, I th into this, wanting to make an introduction to um, my sermon on loving each other or one of the um, tests of salvation is do we love our brother, I got to the verses there in 1 to 10, and you can look over them quickly if you like. I'm just going to make some introductory uh, thoughts on this. Um, my, my title of the sermon this morning is Christ's Mission for Coming Here to Earth. Do you ever think about why Christ came to earth? I think for a lot of us, um, we go right to the thought, he came here to save me. Take care of me, take care of my sins, keep me from hell. Um, I don't think if we look at this chapter very closely, that's the real reason. And we'll talk about maybe the real reason here um, if we, as we dive in. According to 1 John, it has more to do with redeeming the world of sin than giving up a chance to, uh, then giving me a chance to go to heaven. Think about that a little, and then think about the state of our world it, that we're in today. Many of us, this COVID-19 thing has impacted us um, in a pretty big way, we think anyways, being in the world we live in, probably not as big a way as a lot of other things throughout history, but for us it seemed big, um, children at home, or for whatever way it impacted you, you financially, um, your job, um, your ministry, school, church, many, many different things that this thing had affected us. So how are we doing with that? And Glenn shared a little bit about how he's doing. 
Um, I think I could probably say the same. I look back at the last two months and see things that, wow, I, like, I could do a lot better. Could have done a lot better. To be honest with you, I'm ready to be back to normal and try to um, do things differently um, than before, than during the time when we were in lockdown. Some of us have said we're at war against an invisible enemy. If we don't work together to fight this or destroy this, others, others called this a big conspiracy, and we had an enemy, a group of people determined to take away our rights and freedoms and destroy our economy. Both sides were living in fear and forgetting who the real enemy was. I don't know who was right or what really was or what is really going on, but there's many of us probably wish we could just solve this problem. What if somebody would just come today and take away this whole COVID-19 thing, fix us, we'd be in good shape, go back to normal, everything, the economy, life, everything, nobody would have died, no sickness, no nothing, and we'd just fix it just like that. Maybe a pill or maybe a vaccine that some people are talking about. Um, that would just kind of take care of all this. Or maybe somebody take care of, quote, the conspirators that some people are saying is in, in this whole thing. And just fix it. Fix the world we're living in. How many of you would like that? I think most of us would say it'd be pretty good. We could handle that. I don't believe I'd spend, I don't think I'll spend too much time talking about that this morning. But I think most of us know 2,000 years ago, someone came to earth and fix something much, much greater, much, much bigger than COVID-19. We know who that was. No, it was Jesus Christ who came and fixed something. And what did he fix? Now, some of us are saying he didn't fix it because we're still living in a fallen, broken world. But this morning we want to talk about his mission and what he did to fix some of the problems here in the earth. Or the biggest problem here on earth. First John 3 talks about this. Um, and he gives two reasons. We'll get into those two reasons. But maybe I'll just give you an outline of what I want to preach on this morning. First of all, I want to say what did he come to destroy? Or talk about what did he come to destroy? How did he destroy it? And then last of all, maybe more practical. How do we live a victorious Christian life in a fallen world? I think we all have seen the world has been quite fallen in the last two months. I don't think we should have had to wait, had to wait until COVID-19 to see the fallenness of this world, but we see it now probably more than we did before. So the first question is, what did he come to destroy or what did he come to fix? If you look at verse, a little hard to teach here or to use this as a classroom, but if you look at verse, um, look at verse 5. What did Jesus, I can't help but ask, what did Jesus come? I'm going to ask, somebody can tell me from there, say it loud and clear. What did Jesus come to fix? 1 John chapter 3, verse 5. Anybody find it? Take away, our Take away our sins. Thank you, Nancy. And then the second reason in verse 8. Destroy the works of the devil. Of the works of the devil. Praise the Lord. A man, God, son of God, came down 2,000 years ago to fix those two things. And we're going to talk about those two things this morning. Not really good things to talk about in some ways. And you may say, why, when we get together, finally we preach on this? I don't know. Um, I wasn't going to preach on this. I was going to preach on love. But the Lord kind of um, brought me to this. So the two things. 
Take away our sins. Destroy the works of the devil. That's why Christ came. He didn't come just so I can go to heaven. Now that's part of it. That's an opportunity we have. But he came for those two reasons. Ever since the fall of the garden, we are living in a broken world. The devil is going about, like it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, seeking whom he may devour. And how does he do that? He does it through our sins. Through convincing us to sin. Um, I think we need to take a little closer look at it than that. We have to agree the works of the devil are sins. Right? They're our sins. Which we've chose to commit. When people commit to sin, it's not the work of the devil as much as it is a choice for us to sin. When they sin, his work is accomplished. So what the Son of God came to destroy is not just the guilt of this sin, okay? All of us want that taken away. After COVID-19, I think most of us could say there were some things, I can't anyways, that I feel I didn't handle like I should. And I don't like that guilt. It'd be nice for the God just to bring his son down, take that guilt away. Now, he can do that, but it's greater than that. <clears throat> you see, he didn't come just to destroy our guilt. He would have, if he'd want to just destroy our guilt, he could say, keep living in sin, keep doing what you want, and you're still going to heaven, and we're going to take that guilt away. That's not how it works. So what the Son of God, <clears throat> this puts... This on us rather than saying the devil made me do this. The, the enemy on the rebel planet is sin. The deadly virus is sin, not COVID-19. The force to be conquered here on our country is sin. We don't need to do anything. <clears throat> and we can't do anything about this, but praise the Lord. He sent his son who's fixed that, who can help us work through that. We may need to look a little closer at what really sin is to help us understand better how to deal with this practically. And I hope this morning's sermon is not just a sermon on sin, but some practical things that we can see and do um, daily to deal with this thing of sin. We may, <clears throat> verse 4 says, sin is what? There's an interesting word in the environment we're living in right now. Sin is what? Verse 4. Somebody. Okay. What's it? Call it there. Am I in the right verse? Um, law, okay. The NIV says lawlessness. Okay. Or transgression of the law. Sin is lawlessness. It's breaking the law. Now, it's not just breaking our president's law or our governor's law or our constitution, but it's breaking the law of God put within us um, since birth. And everybody. It's interesting. I was listening to Robert Mueller um, on a podcast, a briefing, and he was talking about the role of the law in our country. And it was, you like history or you like your con- uh, studying the constitution. He said, a democracy ends up choosing as their law the rule of law rather than a dictator or a king who chooses to make the laws. Okay, So our country in the last 200 years, we won't quite understand that, but the last 200 years a lot of countries other than North Korea and China and Russia maybe um, have chosen to take the rule of law. And that basically is a constitution or a, 
a, a, law, um, a law that's not just given by one person or made by one person. It's given as something that, that we, one person doesn't make that law. Anyways, he went into that in a little detail, um, an interesting detail in itself. But governments and nations in the last 200 years govern this way. Where you find rule of the law, you find successful societies. When countries have rule of law rather than a person or a dictator making the law, they avoid tyranny or they avoid anarchy where the rule of law is used um, there's no dictators and there's no mob rule. Why did I bring this up? Sin is breaking the law of God put in us to help us make good choices. Satan tells us we don't need to follow this. And as we follow our flesh, Satan lies, or Satan's lies, we find ourselves in state of lawlessness, okay? Going against the rule of law given to God within us. I like the way John Piper put it in a quote. Lawlessness is living as though you owe, your own ideas are superior to God's. Lawlessness says, God may demand it, but I don't prefer it. Lawlessness says, God may promise it, but I don't want it. Lawlessness replaces God's law with my contrary desires. I become law to myself. Lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to make laws and govern his creatures. Do we understand what Jesus came to destroy? Does that make sense? Does it make sense that we constantly are battling as humans with lawlessness? We want to do things our way. And Jesus came on earth, died on the cross, rose again to destroy that lawlessness within us. The lawlessness is rebellion against the right of God to rule over us. The work of Satan is to tempt us to reject the authority of God and the rule of law that's put within us. We put our desires above the law of God. So the next question should be, how did Christ destroy sin? Now it's getting a little deeper, and then the last one we'll get into the practical. So how did Christ destroy, destroy this sin? The first answer to this is found in verse 8. For this reason, Christ was manifested, or the NIV says, appeared, okay, to destroy the works of sin. Christ coming as a baby, living a sinless life here on earth, dying on the cross, destroying death, death and the curse of sin by his resurrection. Christ coming to earth like he did destroyed sin. I like how it says in Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. When Christ came to earth and was condemned and died for our sins, he took on death so we no longer have to die. He took on our condemnation so we no longer need to be condemned. And the second way is found in verse 9. Whoever is born of God. So the first way is Jesus came. He died on the cross. He took care of our sins. But the second is can't take place without the... Or the first can't take place without the second. And the second can't play, take place without the first. The second is found in verse 9. What is the second way that Christ destroyed sin? And this is so important. The second way Christ destroyed sin. First is he died on the cross for us. He beat the curse of the devil. And the second way he did what? He gave us the opportunity to, anybody find it there? For, to rebirth, to be reborn again, to change our nature, to um, become new. Romans 8, 
Romans 8, 1 to 3. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Um, we have an opportunity to be born again and not to be condemned. So there are two ways. The works of the devil are destroyed. One is by the appearance of the Son of God, and the other is by new birth. Let's look at the idea of new birth here. Now, this is a very important subject, and I don't have time to delve into what really the new birth is. But First John, if you want to study more about the new birth, I think we can find it here in First John. Let's look at the idea of the new birth. Verse 9, whoever is born of God does not commit sin, for God's seed remaineth in them. Now, I hope we don't get too frustrated with that verse to think about us being um, never committing sin. That's not what it's trying to say. We'll get into that a little bit here. His new nature gives him new wants, and these new wants keep him from sinning. You see, God puts in us a seed to change us, to make us different. The Bible gives this <clears throat> in three examples. Um, Paul in 2 Corinthians says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new create, creature or a new creation. Old things have passed. I like the way Jeremiah says it in 24-7. He called it a new heart. Um, and then Ezekiel says, a new spirit. A new spirit also I will give you. So when we're born again, we are a new creation. We've got a new heart. We've got a new spirit. We are different people. Thank God for, re, um, for regeneration. When my children were born, they received my seed at birth or at conception. They became like me. The same is true at new birth. We receive Jesus' seed and we become like him. So thankful my children don't only have to have my seed, but they can have a new seed and a new birth. Um, that seed is complete opposite seed of the sin that we received at our first birth. We now have the seed of Christ living in us. I hope I've not lost us here because we're probably all still reminded that this week we've committed all kinds of things that don't seem new. Are you right? Are you following me? I did. Um, so what's he saying here? Well, he's not talking about sinless perfection. First John is very interesting in the fact that there's many verses in First John that you would think, when we're Christians, we're perfect. And then there's many verses that go, and you can go down through, if you want to go down through and write perfection for those verses, you'll find as many verses that would say not perfect. Like 1 John chapter 1, where it says, if we, um, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. So you'll find both in John. It's interesting. Um, maybe a good study to do. Write perfection down for every time you see um, verses in First John that you would think you need to be, as Christians, we're perfect. And then write not perfect down for verses that say we still sin. And you'll find pretty much a balance between the two there. Um, I'm not going to get into that um, real deep, but I think John clearly is not preaching sinless perfection as Christians. I'm glad he's not. I wouldn't be standing here in front of you probably if he would because I would feel guilty every day all the time. But he does give us very clear things to do when we do sin, right? In 1 John, we confess our sins. He is faithful in justice to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To summarize, Christ came here to earth to destroy the works of the devil. Those works are sin, our sin. And how did he do that? He came as a baby, a sinless human, died on the cross, took our curse because of our sins. 
Um, like it says in Galatians 3.13, the New Living Translation says this, But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by law. When he has hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scriptures, Cursed is everyone who is hung in the tree. He came, won the victory over our sin. Now the last question, or the last part of the sermon I want to ask, um, how do we live victorious lights light in victory in Christ um, in the world we live in today, in the middle of COVID-19, or maybe we hope toward the end of COVID-19. Um, how do we live victorious as Christians? Christ came to destroy sin. Christ came and did destroy sin for us at the cross and at rebirth. Um, now, how do we live as victorious Christians? First John 5, 4. Look at that with me. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. And then 1 John 3, 7 in our passage today. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. So my question is, what do we do practically today to deal with living in the world we live in? I believe 1 John was written as a very practical letter about our daily battles. Um... And 1 John 3, 7, it says, do what is right. And I'll say that, I'll interpret that, or I'll give you my interpretation, with what is right in front of you. Okay? Just do what is right with what is right in front of you. When we're doing right, it shows we have, righteous, we have become righteous through Christ. Okay? It doesn't mean we're perfect. But it shows we have become righteous Christ. So if we're not doing right and we live a constant life of unrighteousness, it shows, I think according to verse 7, that we have not received the new birth. First John 3, 7 or, um, says, I think pretty clearly there. I believe this is saying no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. Okay? A daily practice of sinning. I, <clears throat> there were false prophets back in this time and this is actually written um, because of the false prophets that were saying um, new birth changes does not change the life of sinning. It was actually written for that reason. You see, God's seed cannot make peace with a pattern of sinful behavior. I do understand our righteousness comes from a, from our righteous, a righteous relationship with God. But because God has changed us, we can be righteous and also do righteous. I'll read that again. I do understand. Our righteousness comes from our relationship with God, not our own personal righteousness. Because God has changed us, we can be righteous and we can do righteous. I love a quote I found, rather simple. How do the born again deal with sin? They just deal with it. Okay? That means we need to do something about it. Very practical. If we woke up this morning, well, I'll leave that one go. We'll talk about that in a practical way just soon. Basically saying when we do sin, we bring it to the Father, we confess it, and work on changing our lives. It's not that complicated as we make it sometimes. We need to just deal with it and do this, like it says in 1 John, if we confess our sins. The way we deal with it is confess our sins. Take it serious. Take it for real. But deal with it and do something about it. We expect that out of our children, right, when they do wrong? Are we so different? Should we be any different in our own lives? I believe doing right is always a choice. And I'm going to just give a few th um, practical things that we can do. First of all, 
said this at camp so often. Doing right starts with a good attitude, a good choice. Doing right is always a choice we need to make, and it starts with our attitude. Our attitude is... <clears throat> Our attitude, a good one that is, will take care of most of our sin problems. And a truly good attitude always comes from a new spirit in Christ. I believe that. A truly good attitude comes from a new spirit in Christ. And a good attitude will deal with a lot of our issues. I'll say that. We have plenty of things to grumble about and be upset about if we want to, right? We found a few of them this last two months. I think I have anyways, unfortunately. Um... And I have reminded my children of something that I need to be reminded of. And that is, attitude is 1% circumstances, 99% choice. I know that's just written. They told me, well, that was just a quote made. It doesn't really mean anything. But I do believe it, even though a little harder to live sometimes. And by the way, we have so much to be thankful for. For most of us, living, we're living in the wealth of the 1%. We're living in some of the best times in history and grew up in godly heritage with a lot to be thankful for, we truly should have good attitudes. We have no excuses to have a bad attitude. After all, we are the children of God, a new creation, a new heart, and a new spirit. If we indeed are children of God, there's no place for bad attitudes. But we not only need to choose right with our attitudes, but we need to choose right in our walk. Um, second thing, so how do we choose to walk in, situations we're li- in the situation we're living in? couple questions I need to ask myself, and this may um, hit home to you. Sounds like it might have hit home to Glenn a little bit. I was thinking of some of the same things Glenn was this morning. How have I expressed my anger to others about our politicians or about the people that have, have upset us in this crisis? How have I controlled my tongue in the middle of this COVID-19 in the last two months? Also, what am I doing with my time? And I thought about that so much in the last couple of weeks. You know, in the last two months, I think most of us had more time than we had before. And that should have given us a lot of time to read the Word of God and pray. And there were days I chose to do that, but I had many, many more days where I chose to yeah, listen to the news, listen to what is discouraging and can pull us down. Um, that I need to confess, and that is something I probably still need to keep constantly be reminded of. Um, a choice, a walk. I can in the morning get up and spend time with the Lord. I can in the morning spend time with, you know, the news and whatever is out there to often bring us down. If I spend as much time talking about my problems and my leaders to God in prayer, you think that have more impact than talking to somebody else about it? I think it probably, I know it would, <laughs> um, but I don't, haven't always lived exactly like that. Last question I'm going to ask, which leads to the last section in chapter 3, and is touched on in verse 10. How well are we loving our brothers? Um, the rest of the chapter talks about the importance of loving our brothers. Now, it doesn't say loving other, or, our politicians, which I think is important, that's respect. But it's talking specifically about loving the people around us right here, our brothers in Christ. Um, How well are we doing with that? It's an indicator. Our relationships, we've heard this many times, with each other is an indicator of a relationship with God. I hope and pray COVID-19 will go away and we'll get back to normal. 
But even more important than that, I hope and pray that what has happened in the last two months has not pushed us apart, but drawn us together. Um, one of the most important parts of our Christian walk is a love for each other as brothers and sisters. These are all practical things we can do, um, or I hope we can think about next week. I'd also like to close with a beautiful promise or truth found in verse 2. And Just open your Bibles up, and let's just look at the first two verses. I'm going to read them, and then I'm just going to make a couple points, and we're going to close. Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, or like the NIV says, lavish to us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when, we sh when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. He wants us to know that despite our many faults and mistakes that I've made, that we've made, he still loves us. He's lavished that love upon us as Christians, despite the mistakes we've made. That should give us courage to continue to deal with sin in our lives and continue to do what is right. Our creator, or the creator of the universe, the one in control, the one in total control, sent his son to take away sin and won the victory for us. He has lavished upon us his love, and he has called us his father. That should give us comfort in times of fear, times of trouble. Second gift he, <clears throat> we can see that we often take for granted and even at times dislike is the gift of being a stranger here in this world. kind of enjoyed that thought a little more than I did before, COVID-19. But we're strangers. This isn't our world. What happens and falls apart in this world, no worries. we got something better to look forward to. I think most of us have thought about that in the last month or two. Um, this world is not our own. We're just passing through it like that song. Uh, if we don't fit in, it's okay. If it doesn't work out, it's okay. We've got a better world we're going to. In fact, we probably shouldn't be fitting in too well. In fact, COVID-19 probably shouldn't be affecting us too much because this isn't the world we're living in. God has something much better prepared for us. This is just, just a temporary home. Very, very important to remember that. I think Jake and Ada probably are thinking about that more in the last day than um, ever before. The last gift is our Father has lavished upon us is the hope of redemption of a new life and a new body, which is kind of the same as the second one. We, when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Not only we get a new home, but we got a new body. And this thing of sin will completely go away. Now, I know in rebirth, we got a new bent and a new seed. But in heaven, we're going to have a complete new body. No more pressure to be selfish and sinful. No more devil to accuse us and to deal with us. What a wonderful thought. Let's focus this week on the great love our Father has lavished on us. And let's let our thoughts, our conversations, our actions be dictated to what God has done for us. Let's bow, bow together for prayer. God, thank you for the service this morning, for the people here, um, the people we've learned to love and enjoy and um, probably learned to, um, to love even more when we were not with them. Um, thank you for our body here and for um, the love of 
you have poured on to each one of us and lavished on us um, because we can be called your children. God, help us to um, remember what you've done in our lives. Help us to live our lives the way you want us to, as, um, with a new spirit and a new bo- uh, bo- uh, with a new spirit and a new heart um, and a new creation. Help us to live as Christians who walk that way with that seed within us. Just thank you for um, the many blessings we have, the many good things we have, and help us to have an attitude and appreciation for the way you blessed us for so many good things. Pray especially for Jake and Ada right now and um, what they're going through, and um, just pray that you would give them peace, give them um, a, a real strong closeness to you, and continue to lavish on them um, your love. Just pray for um, our week this week. Help us to live the way you'd want us to live and walk the way you'd want us to walk and be a testimony and a light for you wherever we're at. In Jesus' name, amen.